it was so hard, right? We knew what was coming with the PPP loans and so forth. It just wasn't going to fill the gaps for us. And look, this was a really hard decision. There were a lot of sleepless nights and so forth. And, and personally, right, that making that decision hurt. And beyond just sort of this idea um, of failure being painful, I had obligations, both financial, but also sort of personal obligations to a variety of people. And it, you feel like you let them down. And, and that's, that's the hard part. Welcome to the Business 360 podcast, where we will take a 360 degree view of all things business in under 30 minutes. I'm Rushab Kamdar, a serial entrepreneur, a serial eater, but without milk. And my serial number, I think, is my social security number. Hello, business heroes. This is the first episode. How exciting. Each week, we'll be interviewing entrepreneurs and executives from different industries. We'll also take a 360-degree look at those industries, but not in a boring way. I want to stay awake also. You know, a lot of people think that being a restaurant entrepreneur is easy. So on today's show, let's see if that's true. We'll interview a restaurant entrepreneur that has gone through the entire restaurant ownership process. After that, let's discuss the top five reasons why restaurants fail, and then we'll finish it off with some Q&A. The aftermath of COVID-19 has financially hurt most of the restaurant industry, but it also paints two vastly different pictures. Large chain restaurants and fast food restaurants, they're thriving mainly because they already have the groundwork in place for takeout, drive-through, or even delivery. These restaurants also have the resources to quickly adapt to new forms of food delivery, things like curbside, or even the use of delivery platforms like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub. Now, these food delivery apps, they can take large commissions on food sales, but these large chains, they can negotiate them down, mainly because of their large sales volume. On the flip side, there are thousands of restaurants that are struggling during this pandemic. These smaller mom and pop style restaurants are being forced to keep their doors closed and it has been difficult for the owners to keep up with rent, payments, operating expenses, and salaries. Because these small restaurants are financially hurting, it's hard for them to pay 15 to 30% commission on food delivery apps. Now that being said, there is opportunity for aspiring restaurant entrepreneurs. The pandemic has created a huge shift in consumer behavior where contactless and convenience are winning. And many restaurants actually have learned to get pretty lean. They've streamlined their menus and implemented other cost-cutting measures. Today on the Business 360 podcast, we are welcoming someone who successfully operated a food business for five years before being affected by the pandemic. My guest is Evan Tepper, the former owner of Wholesome Kitchen out of Minnesota. And before Evan jumped into entrepreneurship, he started in healthcare consulting, then he moved his way into the corporate space only to find his way to starting a business. Evan, I'd like to welcome you to the Business 360 podcast. Hey, Rushab, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So we'll just jump right into this. Mm -hmm. First of all, you know, tell everyone about Wholesome Kitchen. Um, Wholesome Kitchen, the, the idea was fairly simple. And it was this um, idea that there was an unmet need for less processed, healthier food, but that was also equally delicious. We started with the food truck with a simple menu, and we received a lot of great feedback from our customers, and we, you know, that allowed us to build out a comprehensive business plan with some reasonable amount of data to help us sort of shape what that future and that vision look like. Uh, from, from there, we opened a, our first brick and mortar location, uh, and then we started expanding on the menu. Again, start small and continue to evolve as you grow. So we added in a lot of food into the menu and started, uh, we started with grab and go and then move that to made to order food. 
Um, but, and, and our food was being received really well, but we were in a, a very ideal location uh, for serving that food. So we started a catering business and, and so on and so forth. So that's just a little bit of um, where Wholesome Kitchen is and or ki Kitchen was um, prior to the pandemic and, and us unfortunately having to shut down. What was the reasoning behind going from a food truck to a brick and mortar? And, you know, what are some of the benefits of that? Yeah, good question. So the food truck for us was never the end goal. The end goal was to create a brick and mortar um, concept that we felt like we would be able to scale and replicate over and over and expand through um, franchising. And so for us, it was an extension of the brand. It was the next step in that process towards, um, yeah, towards growing. Like so many people out there, you started in corporate and then you moved your way into becoming a business owner. And how did you decide on choosing the food, dining, hospitality industry? Um, I, I'd like to say that the decision to choose food over something else was a really well-articulated um, framework. But frankly, part of starting a business is recognizing opportunity. And, and this is where I saw an opportunity uh, and, and moved on it. One of the businesses that I've actually owned has been in the food, catering, hospitality side. Um, yeah. I'm not in that business any longer. And this was years before COVID hit. And I know that there are tremendous operational challenges that takes place as being a owner in this industry. What are some of the most common challenges you faced while you were running your business and obviously before COVID? The biggest challenge is sort of the sheer number of responsibilities that in a small business owner, particularly in food service, which moves really quickly and is operating every single day. Um, so think about it in a corporate structure and now apply it to a small business. You're wearing a ton of different hats, right? So you're doing everything from HR, you're responsible for accounting and finance, you manage your relationship with vendors, you take care of operations, you know, um, equipment breaks down, you know, you sort of on the hook for that. There's a, something goes wrong with the plumbing, right? And so you can just imagine the number of different hats you have to wear. All right. You know, so I want to take that one step further. Yeah. Um, specifically for restaurant owners, what is their lifestyle like? Yeah. So, you know, as we, as we sort of touched on, um, this thing is operating all the time. And, and frankly, the lifestyle can be really, really challenging. Um, so the really, the business is constantly in motion. So, and even when you're not open or you have a day off, things can go wrong, right? Like I mentioned, the aforementioned freezer breaking down, or there's an employee that has an emergency, or, you know, you get a call from a vendor, things like that. Um, and, and so it's really best to not really think about um, owning a restaurant in terms of like that proverbial work-life balance and really thinking about it as a lifestyle, right? Because it's going to impact you not just professionally and personally, but like all of those around you as well. So your friends and your significant others and, and, and your families. Um, but it can also be really fun and exciting, right? Like there's that adrenaline and because of like the pace, there's also that camaraderie and you feel that sense of accomplishment in, in teamwork. And so, you know, like you sort of offsetting all of those things. One of the things I, I, I tell a lot of people is that uh, whatever you get into, don't chase the dollar signs, chase something that makes you happy. And I know for a fact that many restaurant owners give up a lot of their weekends. And so if you're someone that enjoys your weekends, um, you know, this is probably a business that you don't want to get into. So now let's kind of move it to what's happened because of COVID. Uh, yeah. You had to exit Wholesome Kitchen, as has mm -hmm. many other restaurant owners. What did you learn from that experience? I think you just sort of have to expect the unexpected. Look, this isn't something that anybody could have planned for. 
there's there's no protocols in place for this. There's no insurance, you know, there's no business interruption insurance to help with these kinds of things. Um, and I think this is probably just another test uh, of resiliency of being a leader, whether that's in the corporate space or owning your own business. Obviously, the, the effects uh, are a little more personal if it's your own. Um, but yeah, it is. It's again, it's another one of those tests, I would say. Only 8% of the CARES Act uh, PPP program reached uh, restaurant owners. Is that something that when that was announced back in April of 2020 that you were expecting and waiting on? Or did you just realize that, listen, you know, this is not going to work, whether there's a fund there or not. And I'm just going to close the doors because others I'll, I'll be drowning in debt. Yeah, such a good question. Um, and it was something that we wrestled with uh, pretty extensively. Um, just a little bit of backstory here. When we first opened, the location that we selected was very neighborhood driven. Right? It was a really great part of Minneapolis, but it was very residential, meaning that between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., the neighborhood was pretty vacant with everybody exiting to go to work. Now, as we sort of evolved the business into more food centric, that turned out to not work in our favor, meaning that we didn't have that lunchtime crowd that we needed to continue to grow and to build on um, the success that we had had, right? And hence this idea of starting the catering business, right? Because if folks weren't coming to us at lunchtime, let's bring it to them. So really a large part of Wholesome Kitchen's revenue was, um, was around the cater, like catering to the downtown office crowd. When COVID-19 hit, that catering just fell off a cliff. Like it, it went to zero. Um, but, it, you know, and again, a little bit of backdrop. In our expansion to be able to offer that catering and so forth, we had to bring on additional higher paid staff. Uh, and we had to take out a lease. We leased some space in a shared commercial kitchen. And we just had some additional responsibilities um, as well. And so as we looked at the picture about our existing revenue for our on, you know, our on premise, uh, and sort of married that with what our, uh, you know, our expense load was, I just didn't see a path forward. And I knew that this uh, pandemic wasn't going to be uh, done in a few months. So the road for, for us, as tough as it was to sort of um, come to terms with, uh, just didn't look that promising. And to your point, right, we already had a reasonable debt load, uh, taking on additional debt. And I think part of the CARES package um, for the, the PPP was that, like, I think 75% of that funds had to be applied to um, staff wages and so forth. Yeah. And, and so for us, like, if we were going to scale back, that was, like, that's would have been helpful, but that wouldn't have sort of um, carried us through the sort of length of the pandemic. Something that's very important you just touched on, which is when you're an entrepreneur, you have to look at where you are and what even one month close can do to you. And if you can be more thinking and realizing that's going to take a lot of tremendous debt on you, it's not, it's, it's something that you have to make a decision now rather than taking the wait and see approach. Um, it was so, it was so hard, right? You know, and we were, we knew what was coming with the um, PPP loans and so forth. It just wasn't going to fill the gaps for us. And look, this was a really hard decision. There were uh, a lot of sleepless nights and so forth. And, and personally, right, that making that decision hurt. And you know, beyond just sort of this idea um, of failure being painful, I had um, obligations, both financial, but also sort of personal um, obligations um, 
to a variety of people and it, you feel like you let them down. And, and that's, that's the hard part. A lot of times people think entrepreneurship is extremely glamorous. And although it can be, there's quite a bit of grinding and hard work and difficult decisions during that process. What advice would you have for entrepreneurs who want to pursue a business specifically in the restaurant and hospitality space? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think the first thing is, and this is what I touched on earlier about making sure you go in with eyes wide open, right? Marrying that passion um, with a very clear understanding of what the expectations will be. I think the other really, really important um, thing here is in my mind, in order to be successful, even with a small operation like we had, it requires two people of different sort of mindsets. You need both an operations person so, right, so somebody that's passionate about the kitchen or about the food, right, that can manage a lot of that. And then you need the person with the business discipline, right, to drive things forward. And so ha like having that team, I think, is really, really critical and really, really valuable. Those are probably the two biggest things that um, I would sort of think about is making sure that you have strong partners uh, in place. Um, you know, and then there's a variety of other uh, small you know, pieces of advice that I would give, and this is true sort of anything, is networking. Networking is so, so important. No, this is great. It crosses the entire gamut of entrepreneurship in general, right? Make sure you have good partners. Make yeah. sure you are um, connecting with organizations or, or people that can be resourceful to you. And I think one more important thing that you just mentioned was learning. Trial and error is always part of entrepreneurship, but if you have, uh, you know, some education, um, on what you're, what to expect, you may be able to avoid or mitigate some of the mistakes that, that may have come across your path. So mm -hmm. getting informed, I think is probably the best way to put it. You know, Evan, I think you've uh, given some great information for um, anybody that's interested in, in opening up a restaurant or just to get an understanding of one. So thank you for that. I really appreciate you being a guest on the Business 360 podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate being here. Have a great weekend. I always hear people say, I have a great idea for a restaurant and I know it would make so much money. But the reality is restaurants have a three to 8% profit margin, depending on whether it's a full service, fast, casual, or catering establishment. Now with such thin profit margins, it's no wonder why 60% of restaurants don't make it past their first year and 80% of restaurants don't make it to their fifth year. You know, restaurants fail for a variety of reasons. A simple Google search, will yield you countless articles on why restaurants fail. One of my former companies was in the food, dining, and event space. So rather than regurgitating to you what you can already find online, I'm gonna drop the five most important reasons why restaurants fail, and this comes from my own experience. The first reason is ownership. Most people don't realize the lifestyle of a restaurant owner, where they usually have to give up their nights and weekends. Sure, at first, every new business owner is willing to sacrifice. That is until they actually go through it and realize what they lost. On top of that, you have to know if you're a people person. Owners have to be able to handle criticism or negative Yelp reviews, even when the complainer is blatantly lying or is at fault. Yeah, it sucks that the customer dropped penny vodka on their pants and stained it because they were using their hands to eat. But damn it, why did you have to make that pasta with so much sauce? Obviously, it's your fault. The most important flaw in ownership is the management style. So ask yourself, are you a culture creator or a taskmaster? 
Are you present on site or are you an absentee owner? Are you leading by example or sitting on the sidelines while everyone else is doing the work? And maybe most importantly, are you a know-it-all or are you willing to learn? The answers to these questions will decide on your employee loyalty, morale, and turnover. The second reason of restaurant failure is location. Listen, I get it. You found a perfect location where rent was cheap, the infrastructure and equipment was already in place, and even though the last five restaurants there failed, you're going to be the change maker. Oh, and since it's in a vacant strip mall, you'll be the sole tenant, so that means no competition. Listen, obviously, you don't go to a remote location where no one will discover you. Also, you don't go to a location with too much competition unless what you offer is very different and you're able to afford the high rent in that area. The third reason restaurants go under is because they fail to understand their customer and their customer demand. Whatever your concept or cuisine is, make sure there is a desire for it. The worst thing you can do is assume that people want it and then lose all your money after you go belly up. The point is, take a lesson from Seinfeld and don't be like a babu bot by opening a Pakistani restaurant in a neighborhood where no one was asking for it. Fourth reason for restaurant failure is poor operational control. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are a couple of areas to this question. First, you either have terrible or no marketing at all, and that includes having no social media presence. Second, you have bad staffing practices. Make sure you hire good, honest workers, build a training program and a strong culture. I really can't stress how important that is. Third, don't be cheap in the beginning because you're going to be shelling out more later on. This could be on renovation, furniture, equipment, maintenance, and so on. And fourth, your pricing or your costing. Either the price of your food is too high or the price of your food is too low. And when it comes to purchasing food, make sure you have a pulse on the food cost. Here's a helpful tip. If you are not the chef, make sure the chef you bring on board knows the cost of food, the cost of ingredients, and is on top of the seasonal pricing fluctuations. Oh yeah, and be sure to manage your overhead. Now getting to the last and fifth reason why restaurants fail, it's because they start in a financial hole. Most new restaurant owners raise capital through financing, either through their bank or SBA loans, or they go through friends and family. The biggest mistake I've seen too often is that these owners don't have a three to six month lead of working capital. So what does that mean? Well, if you create a proper business plan and you know that your cost to operate your restaurant is $5,000 a month, then make sure you have fifteen dollars to $30,000 on hand so you can ensure to keep the doors open. Listen, I know owning a restaurant can be very overwhelming and stressful, especially when you're dealing with employee turnover, food overhead, equipment breakdowns, license and permitting requirements, customer retention, customer reviews, tremendous competition, and razor-thin margins. It's not that easy, and that's why it's said by many experienced people, only own a restaurant if you truly have a passion for it. And I will add, only own a restaurant if you have prior experience in the hospitality industry. Now, if your experience brings food and operations to the table, then make sure you bring along a business and salesperson with you or vice versa. The last tip I'll tell you is be sure to network with your local chamber of commerce or any other restaurant associations. You will be surprised how far building relationships go. And listen, if John Taffer from Bar Rescue walks into your establishment, then you know you messed up. Now it's time for Q&A. You ask and I'll answer. The first question is from Josh in California. I'm starting a digital marketing agency. 
How do I do this by keeping my costs low? That's actually pretty easy. Too many new entrepreneurs think, hey, I have a great business idea. Now I'm gonna go spend money on registering an LLC, a website domain, a new camera, a new laptop, logo designs, business cards, and so on. The first step is research. Research your idea. Research if there's a demand. Research everything I just mentioned. Don't go buy the latest tech because you think you need it. Take your time and do the research and spend accordingly. I have a great resource on my website called the Ultimate Startup Checklist. Grab that and it will outline everything for you. The second question is from Terry in Wilmington, Delaware. I'm filled with business ideas, but I don't know if there's a demand. How do I validate my idea? Great question. Too often entrepreneurs think that if they build it, people will buy it. And that's not true. First thing, see if there's a market for it. If a similar product already exists, then you know there is a market, but then make sure it's not oversaturated or that the barrier to entry is not too high. Second, with the internet and social media, you can reach out to anybody you think would be your ideal customer. Join Facebook groups, follow and DM people on Instagram, or post polls on any platform, including LinkedIn. Frankly, put content out there and see what's sticking and what's not. The third question is from Carlos in New York. I want to start a business, but I can't leave my day job since it's my primary source of income. What's your advice? Listen, I always tell people, if your job pays your bills, puts food on your table and a roof over your head, and if you leave it, you'll be out on the streets within a month, then there is no way you should leave your job. If you can afford spending your after work hours on your business idea, then do that. If you can afford living off your savings for six to 12 months, then you can take the risk of leaving your job. But don't do anything until you can validate your idea and that you know there's a demand for it. Entrepreneurship is about risk, sacrifice, and commitment. It's not for everyone. And the more you educate yourself on the process, the better you will be. Thank you for joining us on the Business 360 Podcast. To learn more about our guest, go to thinkbusiness360.com. In life, I follow two things that keep me grounded. Number one, if you only listen to someone's successes and not their failures, you've only heard half the story. And number two, compete with yourself and help everyone else. You stay classy, business heroes.